think there is a part of somebody who wants to improve and the only way to improve is to know your limitations and then how can you overcome those limitations to grow yourself and, mm-hmm. and really that process is now you're unlocking personal things so that that journey is not just a journey of craft it's a journey of understanding yourself better and the more you understand yourself better the more you can expand your repertoire Hi this is Sari and you're listening to the Secret Art Project podcast Creativity, mental health, and spiritual health are deeply connected to Maine's life. After spending years working with rock stars and filmmakers, I decided to get a theology degree. And since then, I've been cultivating my own creative practice. Experience has convinced me that exercising creativity can help us realize who we're supposed to be and manifest a better world. So join me as we talk through the process, interview experts, and get a little weird along the way. Welcome back to Secret Art Project. This one's coming a little later than I had hoped. Usually you'll be able to find new episodes first thing Wednesday mornings, but life happens and I'm still getting into the rhythm here of the show. I appreciate your patience as I have a busy life and I'm trying to figure out how to balance everything. I have been crowdfunding for my next short film, The Winemaker. It's an eerie sci-fi short film. It's a proof of concept for a feature that I'd like to make, and it takes place at a winery. The protagonist is a badass woman who uh, may actually be an extraterrestrial hiding out from her people who are not pleased because she didn't want to do something they wanted her to do. And she finds out that they know where she is. And she makes a personal decision about how she's going to make her wine before they catch up with her. It may or may not end with a confrontation at a wine tasting event. You can learn more at winemakermovie.com. All the crowdfunding people tell you that you want to try to get 30% in your first week. 90% of the campaigns that succeed get to that goal. And I had an old friend, my old boss from when I worked in the music industry, We managed lots of different rock bands. We looked after Rob Zombie and his career, both as a filmmaker and musician, but worked with many other acts as well. I worked with Booker T. Jones. We worked with Devo for a while. We had an indie band called Beware of Darkness that I'm going to have Kyle, the lead singer of that band, on an upcoming episode of the show. We worked with tons of bands, but Andy, we caught up this week and he agreed to come on at a producer level which put me well over my goal for the week. I'm super grateful to Mr. Andy Gould. And since then, we have been doing well. So in the, it ended up that being by the end of day, day seven, I got to 45% of my overall goal for the campaign. So I'm overwhelmingly grateful. I'm super happy. I'm now like feeling more free and excited. I just feel more free to be like, I'm going to cast this movie. I'm going to lock in locations, all the stuff that maybe I'm a little bit behind on, but it's all happening in its own divine time. If you're woo-woo or when I'm ready, if you're not as woo-woo. So I thought that I would tell you uh, a little story about how I got started working in the entertainment industry. I was in college. I was like, I hear that you're supposed to get an internship. Like, that's a good way 
to make it in this world is to look for an internship. So this probably makes me sound old, but there was like a website. I think it was Monster. I'll just say it. It was Monster. And you could like upload your resume to Monster and say, hey, I'm free labor. And I got a call one day. I was a junior in college. And this woman just says, hi, is this Sari? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, do you want to intern for Madonna? And I just laughed. And I was like, uh, yeah, duh. (laughs) It's pretty funny in hindsight what I actually ended up doing and how she stated the, the offer. So I went to college in Orange County in Irvine, which is pretty far south in Orange County. And I found myself driving like probably over two hours in traffic to Beverly Hills for a job interview. Well, Madonna used to have a record label, Maverick Records, and there was at the time a production company she was starting called Maverick Films. And yeah, it was fairly new and it was just all these producers. From what I could tell, seems like she gave them offices and they pitched her projects. And I was reading all these scripts. Mostly that was the majority of my work as an intern. I was 19 years old. People made way pre-Me Too. I mean, really inappropriate comments were said in my presence. And I spent most of my time reading scripts and writing coverage on them. I was a pretty solid writer and I liked reading scripts. I was most shocked by how many bad ones there were. I'm not trying to sound super judgmental, but you know, you go to, you drive to Beverly Hills and you're in this fancy office building and there's all these producers looking for projects to pitch to Madonna. And you'd think that you'd read a script and just be like, at worst, it'd be like, oh, this needs a little work, you know, but there were so many that were just so unbearable to read almost. There's also that feeling of like, I'm also a gatekeeper right now because based on what I write about this script, it could either move to the next level or or not. That wasn't always the case. Sometimes they just wanted the opinion of a young college-age person on a story. So sometimes I was the second opinion, but sometimes I was the first. Like I had one producer who's, he was dating a woman and she wrote a script and he gave it to me to read. And he wanted me to write coverage that would basically kind of kick the can down the road for him having to deal with it. Like he, he wanted me to like, say it was good, but give her some constructive criticism that would make her have to work on it longer. That was really interesting. But I never saw Madonna. One time I was told she was in the building and I was told I needed to go to Starbucks. And it was like the most stressful day of my life up to that point. I was given a Starbucks order. Uh, They told me that she wanted a soy latte. I went to this Starbucks that was like a half a mile away, but it's, there's no parking. It was super hot. Uh, my AC didn't work in my car. It should have been easy to go half a mile and get get coffee, but like I I was sweating. I It took forever, so I was way stressed out. And when I got back with the drinks, an assistant ran out and grabbed them from me and then ran into a, a dark room. But that internship did lead me down all the corridors of my life. Like I, from there, I met a guy and he put me in touch with an agent for temp workers in the entertainment industry and had kind of like charmed her into doing favors. And she just started placing me 
at these different temp gigs as like on assistant desks in the entertainment industry. And I just sort of like learned the ropes that way until I got placed at a little company called Spectacle Entertainment Group, which was a boutique talent management firm. And I ended up working there for 10 years. So that was crazy. It was supposed to be two weeks. So I decided to launch this podcast the same day that I launched crowdfunding. And the reason I decided to do that was because I wanted to launch more than just a campaign for a short film. I wanted to start laying the foundations for a brand, which is an annoying word for me to use even. But when I say brand, I kind of mean like a story, an umbrella or a uh, an upside down umbrella for carrying all the things that I want to make and do. So I have this friend, Jess. She has a branding agency. And I had reached out to her asking for a little branding advice. The company is called Marbury. Marbury. But she had brought up your brand should convey something of your story and your values. And I definitely am not arrived on this in what I'm trying to create, but in it's caused me to reflect on what those values are. And words like hospitality, healing and growth, transcendence, and beauty keep coming up. And what I mean by that is that all the things that I make and do will have those core themes. And one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is if you've ever worked on a film set or a TV set, could you or would you ever characterize that film or TV set as being hospitable? And I just got back from the Sundance Film Festival where I went to a panel that was moderated by Trisha Hersey. She has a book called Rest as Resistance. And I was really moved by her. And I'll talk more about that another time. It was about burnout and about kind of self-care. And she was talking about something more like community care is what she called it. I am honestly curious and I would welcome you to write in if you could tell me if you've worked on a project in the entertainment industry where you would use the word hospitable, that the space was characterized by a spirit of hospitality where people, I know people are there to do a job, but do people feel like full human beings and have their needs cared for in that space? And is that possible? Is that idealistic? Are those big changes or small changes that could do that? Or or maybe you never experienced that, but you have ideas for how it could happen. And I would love to talk more about that because I think for Secret Art Project, that is a huge goal, like creating these little villages. It takes a village to make these projects. So can it be a, a nice village? Can it, be, can it be a village where people experience health and healing and transcendence? and beauty? I don't know. I'd love to have that conversation continue. As part of my crowdfunding campaign, I have offered the social media shout out. And so I'm going to do that here now on this podcast. These are all people who have made me feel so grateful this week, and they deserve some love. So here we go. Brett Hall, my oldest friend in the world. I promise not to do this for everyone. My oldest friend in the world, my grade school crush, and still a big supporter of me. He's the best. Alex Familian, Lo in Denver, Samantha Perez, Dan Koch, Aunt Lori Martin, Matt Montgomery, Piggy D, Rochelle Newman, Mason Menenga, 
the shock jock of the deconstruction movement, Ted Rydmark. Hope I said your name right, Ted. You're great. Joseph. Joseph. Joseph K. Kwiatkowski, I'm going to go with. Joseph Kwiatkowski. Aaron Tao, today's guest. We'll get back to you. Suzer Wines. Thank you so much, Suzer Wines. I can't wait to connect more with you and the wine community while making this project. Emily Lau, my new Portland buddy. Frank Nicosia, or Nicosia. Sorry, Frank. I appreciate your support and always connecting with you on social media. Sorry if I botched your last name. Lindsay Stranigan, who is the best. Hillary Rankin, Patty Carpenter, Janet Stortz, Will Rose, truly one of the best people in the world. Christy Whaley, Eric Harrod, Aunt Flora Abby, Mal Levy, my former intern, just a beautiful flower of a person. Sammy Amir Ansari, one of my oldest industry friends. Whitney, Martin, Shannon McIntosh. Wow. So grateful. Trip Fuller. Blown my mind with the support. David Fox. Haven't talked to you for seven years, but you were always so kind to me. Stephen Kaiser. Pendergrast is the king of the world. Max Melman. Max, so sweet. Vidlings and Tapeheads. That is a film festival that I program for. Vidlings and Tapeheads. It's usually based in Detroit. They've got some new adventures to announce coming soon. That's my friend Jerry White Jr., who's a very talented filmmaker. Also, Justin Deny, talented DP and pizza expert. Wonderful guy. And Tim, Tim Williams from Oregon Made. Thank you so much. There will be more where that came from. Obviously, there's way more that can, people that contributed, but those people didn't want a public shout out. And so I will thank them anonymously. So today on the show... I'm interviewing Aaron Tao. Aaron and his identical twin brother, Winston Tao, are a writing and directing filmmaking duo. Aaron's super humble on this episode. And as just a person, Aaron's super accomplished and super talented. Aaron and Winston, uh, their mother was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder when they were growing up. And their story is just pretty wild. And the way that they have processed that trauma through their art is just so compelling. We got to hang out with Aaron and Winston and both their partners, Ellie and Elle, at Sundance. And so it was really amazing to connect with them in person and and all that. Aaron's wife is pretty pregnant. And so... If we wanted to get in somewhere at Sundance, but we couldn't get let in, she would just like flash at Belly and be like, I got to pee. Let me in. (laughs) So we had some fun times. Remember to go to winemakermovie.com or secretartproject.com. That's secretartproject.com to get on the mailing list. Or if the winemaker link is not your, if your browser doesn't like it. And I love you. Yes, you. Hang in there. You made sure that you asked your wife a serious question when you were still dating. How did you phrase that? What did you say? I I don't even know. I, it's so funny because Ellie tells everybody this story. And I, I honestly don't remember. I don't remember. But yeah, apparently 
I mean, I remember being on the rooftop with her and I was like super into her and asking her out. Yeah, I asked her out. And then she, and then apparently I said, you know, I, I'm going to be doing film for the rest of my life. I just want to make sure that you're cool with it. And she was like, yeah, I'm totally cool with it. Both of us having no idea what it meant, but I don't, I don't actually like, I really don't remember. <laughs> well, she really <laughs> remembers. What's so, she really remembers it. Well, she really remembers because, she, you know, she, I, she didn't know what that meant. I, if I said that, I don't know what it meant. And you have so many ups and downs, you know, that it's, I would say more downs than ups, honestly. So I think that if she would have known now, <laughs> I wouldn't have been able to rope her in. <laughs> but hindsight, it's 2020. <laughs> and I don't even know if I, if you would have become, think if I, yeah, I, I, I don't even know if I, I fully understood. I mean, how can you? I, just, you know, what that entails. It's like, it's crazy. I've always known you as a filmmaker and you're part of a filmmaking duo. You and your twin brother are a directing team. So not only like, are you a filmmaker, yeah. but you and your brother both decided to be filmmakers and you decided to do it together. So like, that's a lot. And I don't really know yeah. how that came into being for you. What indicated that that was your path and when did that start? And yeah. Tell me a little Yeah. I, initially, I was going to go into the ministry. I was studying to become a pastor. But my brother and I had always chatted about doing film. It was kind of like an idea for me. It was like it was like a cool idea. It wasn't like a, an actual tangible reality. So I, I didn't really know how to go about it. And because I wanted to go into the ministry, I initially went to seminary. And seminary, they had this class called what was it like media arts and communications at dallas theological seminary so i decided to go there and then winston went to chapman film school and winston was doing the actual film stuff while i was going studying about screenwriting from a teacher in seminary who had never written a screenplay and so i'm spending like i don't know how much it was like 2500 dollars like each class and I'm paying all this money. And out of that, I was trying working and then going to school at the same time. And I was like, this is crazy. If I'm going to do film, I might as well just do film. So then I just dropped seminary and then just ended up doing film with Winston. But I would say that the beginning of the career, probably like the first three or four years, I was really kind of just writing on Winston's coattails. Like he was the one going to film school. He was the one who was writing the script, he was doing everything. And I was literally just like, oh yeah, I'll help you. And kind of just like would help him, but think in my head that I'm like co-directing or co-writing and really just like being lazy about it and just relying on my brother. And this is a thing I think that's quite easy for twins because you just kind of just do stuff together. You don't. Yeah, really think I was going to ask, did that mirror a dynamic that you had like when you were kids? Yeah, we kind of just stuck by each other's sides and whatever I would do, he would do whatever he would do. I would do kind of a thing. We just were, we were our best friends. And so it just, it's not, and twins are like this. They're either very close or they're like, they hate each other. And we were, we just were very close. So it wasn't anything we... Like the thought of us doing something separate was completely just like, oh, of course we're doing it together. But I wasn't actually doing anything with him. <laughs> so, 
even when I even when I yeah I was going to seminary I wasn't really doing anything and actually before this actually we 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 did acting so we studied acting for like five years we did acting for like five years did the whole commercial route and all that kind of stuff and then and then we we went off and then Winston went to film school and then and so we were acting for like five years okay. which is also why we're really comfortable with actors we're like super comfortable because we, we used to act so we know how to speak their language what um, uh, do you remember what in the like the media class at seminary what grabbed you that kind of like shifted your attention away from becoming a pastor? Like, was there a certain aspect of the the film stuff in that class that caught your attention or pushed you away from becoming a pastor? Or was it really more about the relationship with Winston that was magnetic for you? It was kind of both. It was really seeing that Winston was actually doing the work. And then there was also a season where I was a pastor, like when I was 21, and I had gotten super jaded after that experience. I felt like I was trying to hold on to something that I initially thought I was going to do. And then more and more, when I saw Winston doing film, I, I just started gravitating towards that, that more. And also, too, there was a book that radically changed my perspective on film from a theological perspective called Reviewing the Movies by Vernon Edwin Neal. And it was all about how there's good truth and beauty in a lot of film and most of the well-made films there's a lot of truth and beauty in them if you grow up in the church this is what you're taught it's like <laughs> only watch you know christian films or whatever but they don't teach you how to think critically about cinema it's just this is this is how you should think and there's a clear line in the sand it's like christian and secular and you need to think christian and it doesn't allow anybody to grow. So that book radically changed my perspective and it was like, oh, wow, yeah, you can just make good art. Cool. And that's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> when you guys started out and you're like, we're going to do this filmmaking thing, we're going to be directors. Did you have a strategic way you thought about what kind of filmmakers you were going to be? I, I asked this because like when I survey your work, you guys do have like a really strong visual language like, you guys marry this kind of gritty real life stuff that but it's still like magical and beautiful looking at the same time where you're like these are the stories we want to tell or this is what's like on our hearts or this is the kind of thing we want to put out in the world or was it just like one project at a time figuring it out yeah it was really just one project at a time and I think that we didn't honestly know because we hadn't understood ourselves properly. What I've come to realize is like filmmaking is really an extension of yourself, right? So if you have an idea in your head and sometimes you can't articulate it, if you haven't processed your own life and haven't processed some of the things you've gone through or why you gravitate towards it, you just end up doing something and you don't really know why it just comes naturally to you. So I would say only within the last like two years have I really just gone on this journey of like, who am I? Why am I the way I am? How did I get here? Why are the projects that I do and my brother, why do we do these things? What has caused us to do these things? I've only begun to, in the last like two years, like really just go deep dive in, into this kind of stuff. I don't think I gave any thought to it whatsoever. I remember... We had done this conference was where we were speaking about some of the films we were doing. And after the conference, somebody in the audience had come up to us. And I had shared a little bit about our story growing up with a mom who has schizophrenia and trying to take care of her when we were younger and just our life being a complete mess. 
and not feeling like we could really help her or to stop this problem. And one of the guys in the conference asked me, do you think that you do these kinds of films to help people because you feel like you couldn't help your own mom growing up? And I was like speechless enough. I was like, I don't know. It was, and he was so excited. He was like so happy, you know? I mean, the impact for me, I mean, I was literally thinking about it for like five days. Like I just could not stop thinking about it. Like why am I... It was, it was like, thanks, a, bro, for psychoanalyzing me for a live studio. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, and now I'm unlocking all this. Yeah. I, um, but yeah, I think so. I think it comes from that. I really think there's a part of me that's like, oh, I want to help in some way because I think, yeah, in my yeah. subconscious, there's this thing of like, I want to do something, you know? Yeah. I think that I've been realizing that too. Like, when, no matter what, if you're making stuff, like, your subconscious and that stuff that you're not like fully aware of will just kind of manifest itself. But then once you become more aware of yourself, as you get older and you start to ask some more questions about yourself, and if you really start to dig into the stuff, you can be more like intentional about it. <laughs> or I don't know if I'm ready to say like, oh, the more self-aware you are, the better art you'll make. Because I don't know if that's true, but there's something yeah, yeah. that gets better about it the more you investigate. Yeah, I mean, I think that's highly debatable because like a guy who can make really great art and may not actually know why he's or why how he can create something like yes, this. Yes, yeah. Versus somebody else who who can create it because he understands. I mean, those two are not, you might not have one that's better than the other. But at the same time, I think the journey of every artist, it really, I think they want to do that. I, I think there is a part of Somebody wants to improve and the only way to improve is to know your limitations and why those are your limitations and then how can you overcome those limitations to grow yourself. And, and really that process is now you're unlocking personal things so that that journey is not just a journey of craft, it's a journey of understanding yourself better. And the more you understand yourself better, the more you can expand your your repertoire. So That's well said. Yeah. So what I know mostly about your challenges, just from being friends with you, but like what, if you can remember such a time, what like lit you up about filmmaking <laughs> or like what were some of the moments in your career or it doesn't need to be like, it could be on set or it could be alone writing in your room or whatever, like what aspects of it light you up the most? Oh, man, I think more and more, I think that lights me up the, yeah, the most is... <clears throat> just having something to say. I think it's just understanding how to strengthen my voice. Mm -hmm. Just from what we were talking about earlier, like doing a film because it's like, oh, this would be a cool story or I like this story. And then just feeling like I'm not really able to articulate why it's just like a cool thing versus now, which is like, what do I want to say in this world? What are my thoughts? How do I feel about something? And how do I, how would I articulate this in the form of a narrative that does make me really excited and incredibly frustrated <laughs> because I feel like it's so hard to do and I see somebody else doing it and they do it so well. And we're just like, what the hell? <laughs> how does that happen? And it takes a long time for me. I don't feel like I've done it yet. This last thing I was just telling you about earlier, we just did a short based on our life growing up. That's the first thing I've ever done that I feel like is really personal and I'm really self-conscious about it. <laughs> yeah, it's so and normal, I, yeah. I, 
Yeah, it's so vulnerable and it's so like, ah, uh, man, I just, I feel really, really, yeah, I don't know. But I think the, more and more that, 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 that for me, it's very still, very quiet. And it's anything but still and quiet. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I'm sorry I cut you off. What were you going to say? But yeah, I think that that's the thing that gets me most excited. And I'm also 38. I'm a, I, I'm not very fast. I'm not very like my brain. I don't like, I remember my dad, like growing up, he would be, it takes him so long to get something and I get so frustrated <laughs> with him. And now I feel like I'm that guy. Yeah, like, damn <laughs> like, it. When my kids <laughs> grow up, they're going to be, yeah, I know. They're going to be like, dad, like get with the time. So I feel like it takes me a while to like, I'm not good with technology. So it takes me a while to like wrap my head around good filmmaking technique. I, stuff is progressing so fast and changing so fast. But what I do get excited about is more and more seeing filmmakers who have a, a fresh voice and something to say. And they have a very strong voice and their unique viewpoint on certain topics or issues or just human behavior. And that has been fascinating me more and more. So just in studying a lot of that has been really inspiring versus like just trying to follow the latest trends of something. Do you feel that feeling of like, I mean, I do kind of feel this feeling where you're like, oh, I feel like with every new thing I make, I'm finding a new way to like peel the onion layers off of myself. And I'm trying to find like the yeah. more pure version of what I want to say and what my voice sounds like and stuff. And then you see someone who's like 25 years old and they, <laughs> they seem like, I guess there's just some people who f seem, maybe this is an illusion of the internet or something, but just very like naturally in touch with this very authentic version of themselves, you know? And I feel like I have to like work for it. 100%. Honestly, yes, I totally do. <laughs> I think for me too, I think growing up in the church has really affected me because if you grow up in the church from just from birth to adolescence to adulthood, it's constantly like you don't explore your feelings. You don't process your feelings. Although the church would at least the church I grew up in would tell you that we we do and we encourage this. They don't. <laughs> if you go through anything difficult, if you go through anything hard, it's always pray about it. I'm praying for you. Give your burdens over to the Lord and this kind of lingo and language. I never understood what this meant when people would say using Christianity as a crutch. And now that I'm older, I totally understand. They use it as a crutch and they don't even realize they're using it as a crutch. And that's the worst part about it is and so for me, I went through life emotionally stunted, not knowing how to vocalize anything, not really having a strong opinion about something because I just accepted, oh, if it's a negative feeling, I should just pray about it. And this compounded with the fact that I'm Asian. I grew up in an Asian household. I'm first generation here. My parents were first generation immigrants. Like mm -hmm. you don't speak up, you don't cause waves, just kind of keep your head down. Like those two it was just a perfect concoction of just quiet model minority, like keep you just keep your head down and your mouth shut. We're going to bypass, bypass the emotional stuff with some spiritual stuff. And then you've got the cultural stuff reinforcing it. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why for me, like I'm 38 and it's, I feel like I'm just trying to, for the first time, like step into that. I'm just learning what that means. And it's mm -hmm. taken me a long time, like very intentional journaling, very intentional reading, like things opening up my mind and and then really writing about it like every day, like really practicing it for the longest. I just didn't know how to vocalize anything. And it was really frustrating for me. Well, I mean, I'll just affirm that like 
the world needs your voice, Aaron, because like you're not the only one. And people who had similar experiences need to hear from people like you who they can relate to in that. And also the stuff about like thinking slow or something you feel like you're not like a really quick thinker. But when you do speak, you're a very thoughtful person and you're like you say something of value. So I just don't don't Thanks. judge don't judge yourself is all i'm trying to encourage <laughs> you. myself too hard <laughs> that's why i need friends say. can you talk about a project that you're super proud of and like what brought it to life and yeah i would say this from both my brother and i were super super proud of our screenplay that we finally finished it's called goodbye hurricane it's just the story of our life growing up trying to take care of our mom and living with a mother who has schizoaffective bipolar disorder we're trying to make it now we just filmed the short for it and um so the short is proof, kind of proof of concept for the full length screen, screenplay you wrote yeah wow so yeah and we're trying to get that off the ground now in development but if it never does get off the ground it will still be the most proud that will think for both of us that we've ever been because of the fact that it's taken so long to get to this point. We've tried yeah, writing it for 10 years. We remember when Crash had come out, like he's definitely a, a name you don't mention now, but like Paul Haggis, you know, his film, it was like really blew us away. And so my brother first tried to write a feature in that style with multiple perspectives. And then it changed into like a thriller. And then we were like, we realized we we're just contributing to the negative stigma of mental illness by doing this. And so we're like, I can't be this. And then it changed to, to something else. And then it changed, you know, so many different things, but and, into what it finally is today, which we're happy with. I mean, we're still revising it, but we're, we're finally happy with. I remember sitting in, in the seer watching The Farewell. I remember like literally thinking as I'm watching like this filmmaker, all she's doing is telling something that's personal how come she can tell something that's personal and I can't? Literally, it's just like my, you know, grandma's dying. We're going over there and we're staging a wedding. And it's on paper. It's like, it's just that it's so personal. And and when we were trying to write our own story for like 10 years, trying to make something that it wasn't trying to, well, what if this thing happened here? And then the cops come out and it becomes this you know, shooting and stuff. And we just realized this, that's not our life. Like, we tried, you know, what was our life? What was our story? Like, I we tried to seek a conservatorship over our mother. Like, I had to literally become the parent in the relationship. And that is so just emotionally complex in and of itself that it's like, that's enough, you know, that, that your story is enough, like your voice is enough, like it's enough, you know, it's not the craziest story ever. It's not the coolest story ever. Who cares? Who gives a shit? I don't care. It's a personal thing, you know, I'm so proud of it because it's, I don't care what anybody thinks. Like, I don't, I don't care. It's, it's not that I'm trying to impress you or anything or impress anybody. It's just, this is my life. Like, take it or leave it. Like, this is my life. I'm not trying to prove anything. I'm just trying to process. And uh, I think that that process radically ch transformed what I accept for myself as cool and like good is now just real and honest and true. It's not trying to be something it's not and that's really changed my perspective a lot that really connects with another question i sent to you about like have you used a project to like process challenges like trauma grief so like this must have been a way for you to like to have to go back that must have brought up a lot of stuff i assume i imagine there would be some hard days like what were you and winston in step on that were you both dealing with it the same way or what was the writing process like 
Yeah, it was hard for us because we didn't really know and we didn't have a specific style yet. We were still trying to figure things out. But I think that mental illness is so complicated and you can only take people as far as you've been yourself. So one of the other reasons why we hadn't figured out how to tell the story is because we didn't realize how much we needed to grow as human beings. And you're trying to constantly change somebody. And that was the thing in our relationship with our mom or anybody who has a family member who has severe mental illness, you know who the person used to be and you're always trying to go back to base camp and base camp is gone. You you can never go back. So you have to find a new route. And that process for a lot of people is really hard. It's mental suicide. It's relational suicide. It's like, it's so incredibly difficult that people just like check out and, or they fight. They just fight, 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 fight. And it's a constant war. It's a constant battle. And so for, for me, I had to learn how to accept the death of my mom and say, that's like, goodbye, mom. That's, 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 she's no long. That's not, I have an idea of who my mom used to be. And that's not really her. And to accept the new mom and that journey, it, it was a really long journey. And like the moment that that happened, then I, we realized, oh, it's not about trying to take care of our mom. It's about letting her go. And it's about the character growing enough to realize like you can't hold on to things forever. The more you hold on, the worse it becomes. But the more you let go, you guys can actually have a life now. It's not the best life that you, I, you know imagined, but it's it's just like, okay, this is my new mom. How am I going to relate to my mom? What does she need? How do I communicate with her? You know, these kinds of things. That's just that I really, that's why it took us like 10 years, you know, because it's, we had to change, you know, as people. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. The way you, you put it, the narratives around what you experienced were developing and changing so you can tell the story until you told it to yourself a certain way. Yeah. And that is like one of the hardest lessons in life. Like I haven't had an experience like what you're saying, but when you start to realize that you can lose people before you lose people, like yeah. certain versions of them, you know, like my grandmother who has dementia, like she won't be the, the grandma I had. 10 years ago anymore. I don't know. You just don't get set up for that in life, you know, and it's one of the most tragic yeah, yeah. things to process. Yeah. It's crazy, huh? Yeah, there's yeah. no guidebook. There's no like, no. this is how it's just, you just get thrown in there. Yeah. yeah it's dude. crazy. It's pretty, pretty brutal. Thank you for sharing that. Something you said a little while ago too, this is maybe rewinding the conversation just a little bit, but like I have been trying to write something that's like for my crowdfunding campaign, they want this mission statement. And it's got like a character limit uh -huh. that's ridiculous, right? Like it's like a tweet or something. And <laughs> I kept writing, but I've written it so many times and just not been happy with it. I keep changing it. And sometimes it's easier for someone on the outside to tell you what it should say. But I think what I was really struggling with is like when I get to the most true, authentic answer about like, why make this movie? And wh why do you want to make it? And why should you make it? And why now? It feels like a very self-centered answer to say, I feel like if I don't make that, like, I need to like fucking, <laughs> I need to fucking make it. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, like, this is the story that needs to be told. I need to tell a story on my terms with my aesthetic, it just yeah. feels so urgent inside me. 
And but like that doesn't that's not acceptable. Like I can't, <laughs> I can't write that as a mission statement on my crowdfunding page. But like it reminded me of something you said earlier about like getting to like find your voice and it just like takes practice and stuff. And you're just like the part of filmmaking that you love where you discover, oh, this is what I need to say. And and yeah, it's just right. like, that's it. Like that's the, the doorstop is like. I just need to do, I need to do this. And I don't know. I don't know if you have any advice for me or anything, or does that like make sense to you? (laughs) I know that totally makes sense. I hate that stuff. I mean, in the commercial realm, because we have to do a ton of pitching and it's like, you're constantly pitching. And I remember when we were starting out, there's this one commercial filmmaker who's incredible. His name's Diego Contreras, and he's a good friend of ours with this one company called Reset, which is David Fincher's company. And we asked him how he pitches and he said like, oh, he was working on this pitch for Facebook against like these two incredible directors who we also really look up to. And they're like, so it's always three directors pitching against each other. And in my head, I was like, wow, this is like how in the world would Diego do this? And he he said, uh, you know, he was so confident too, because he's like, I this director I can beat because I heard he's a dick on set. And I can just play the card of like, you know, I'm a great collaborator and I love to collaborate because it's true. And this other director is going to be more difficult because he's he's really great because everybody has their own personal, unique angle. You just have to figure it out and use it. And that changed our pitching from that point on. Like every time now it's like, what's the personal angle? Why is it personal? And then how can we use it? You know, and that's really helped. So if your thing is literally like a hundred words or something, then that doesn't help because you can't get in the why. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. But, uh, no, but I mean, like, yeah, I'm not just a woman. I'm a I'm a mom and I'm a working mom and I'm an artist yeah. and I love science fiction and I'm really interested in like spiritual and and metaphysical questions and like all those things like are all these different lenses that like I that make me just me like I have something to offer that is unique and and like everybody has those so and it's almost like better the more the more specific is the better right like like, I don't know how I, I don't think you could almost like not get I don't know I think it's good to be in a niche and to know who you are that in that way which I'm still working. yeah 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 for sure I wanted to like end with some like practical everyday stuff I thought it would be nice though to touch on what you've been experiencing with meditation if you want to talk a little bit about your experience yeah. with that I'm gonna call this segment what works for you so yeah however you want to riff on <laughs> yeah. that um, yeah I mean what you're saying yeah meditation I've recently come across a, a couple of friends have recommended me to it and mainly it's not what I thought growing up especially if you grow up in the church it's like woo woo and it's very taboo kind of a thing. I don't know why it's so stupid, but it's really helped me a lot. It's specifically because anybody who goes through trauma growing up, they have a hard time regulating their thoughts and their emotions, especially if the amygdala is constantly activated, which yeah, is what so happened to me. So you read that Bessel yeah. Vandal, Vandercock yes. book, Body yeah, Scars, Vandal, very popular yes. book. Did you pick up that book yeah, because yeah, yeah. you were working on that script? The, no. Like, it was just no, independently, no, no, no. Yeah. yeah. It was okay. Somebody had mentioned it. So then I picked it up because 
I, when I was talking about just trying to discover who I am these last two years, I, I've, I've realized that I, I didn't know how to process my trauma. So that, that book is incredible. It really just explains like what is happening in the brain and why things have happened. And then in the, the actionable things that it talks about is what's it called? The neurofeedback, regula- regulating your emotions, meditation, things that, you know, go from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex and, and actually allow you to yeah. regulate yourself. Yeah, I heard That's him on really on a podcast I listened to called On Being and he was talking about yoga and how he has like this very uh, he has a very yeah. regular yoga practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I saw I was doing things. hot yoga for a while. Yeah, and that's helpful too. Oh, I love hot yoga. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so, so that's meditation. Yeah, that's helped me psychologically a lot. Like, so I do that every day. It's literally only like 10, 15 minutes a day, but I've noticed a, a massive difference in the way I go through life. I handle difficulty and just even my creative process. I'm able to think better. Then what I do for me that I've found works really well for me is I set small, I try to pay attention to like what I need to work on, just small things, personal things. And then I, I, I set a time like 10 to 15 minutes every single day. So I journal every day and journal my thoughts every day. And like one specific emotion that I found was interesting or unique just to get in mm-hmm. touch with myself and my own voice. So mm-hmm. I, I used to journal about 30, 45 minutes and I found myself putting way, a lot of pressure on myself and I wasn't able to finish because I'm like, it needs to be great or whatever. But now it's just 15 minutes a day, one emotion that I thought was interesting. The in-laws came over or I, I acted in a way that I felt like I was quite embarrassing or I didn't speak up. And then just yeah. journaling about that thought That's is so really helpful. Yeah. And then I'm also working on metaphors. I'm I'm trying to get better at my metaphors. So like just that's only 15 minutes. So like looking at an object in the room, a few minutes studying the object, and then just the timer for 12 minutes, like just writing down as many things that I can think of that I can work on my metaphors. I use this for like character descriptions or like in dialogue, rather than just using like on the nose dialogue, it's like, you know, having feelings and and they're able to vocalize these a bit more. So that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. I, Did you get that I, metaphor I that. idea from somewhere or was that just something? You, yeah. You know? There's this book that's like completely changed my writing. This one right here. Like this radically changed my, this is like amazing word painting. Oh, wow. Who's it by? This is literally the best book on writing I think I've ever. It's Rebecca McClanahan. Okay. Because I've written, writing, I mean, it's about- writing no yeah it's about but it it's amazing for screenwriting like it's completely changed my screenwriting because you should talk yes it's all about fours being specific in the description and active verbs like using these like very very actionable things that you can work on just to become a better writer and so that's 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 help love that yeah it's fantastic yeah that's really cool cool do you mind mentioning the the meditation app you're using oh yeah what's it's called waking up at waking up, yeah. Waking Sam up. Harris is right by Sam Harris, who's been labeled as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, <laughs> right? Because he's one of the big atheist guys. <laughs> yeah, I think that's really cool what you shared with me the other day. That like, if you can't afford to, they'll give you a free trial. But if you can't afford to subscribe, but you really want to do the practice, you can contact the company because he doesn't want money to be a limitation. I just, I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that intention. And then, okay, it's did you have anything awesome. else you wanted to? Mentioned? No, the only other thing I was going to say is just try, trying to, I, I never used to read before, so I, I'm reading a lot now. 
reading a lot of just yeah anything I can get my hands on really like um, fiction novels um, or novel like uh, I'm reading a lot of now I forget her name Flannery O'Connor oh um, oh yeah Flannery oh, O'Connor like yeah and Cormac McCarthy and uh, George Saunders and awesome. just trying to learn from really great writers and studying them and then also history books and these things just trying to stretch my mind as much as I can. Yeah, that's awesome. History books, that's a great idea. And short stories are good if you're not used to reading a lot and you have like like a Flannery, like a Flannery O'Connor or some short stories. Yeah, Flannery O'Connor. That are just so kick-ass. They're really It's amazing. Really I think she's my, she definitely is one of my favorites because yeah. she's, you know, Catholic, you know? Yeah. But the way she, the way she writes about complex um religious issues and characters and is so good yeah a lot of it's so dark and but very real and there's always somewhere like a a, like a like a little bit of grace or like light shining through somewhere in the stories a lot of the time sometimes it's it's more dark than others but like there's some there will be like a sliver of light in these dark stories i find and that's what i think she's just like really masterful at yeah she called the south she called the South, you know, she's like critiquing Southern culture quite a bit. And but she calls it Christ haunted, which is an interesting way to way to put it. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you real um, quick to see if you had something to share is your since you're a directing team, I wondered if you feel like any of your what you've learned about being a creative collaborator has is transferable or does it is it because you're twins that you guys just have do you know, do you guys have a secret language or <laughs> I know everybody else wants that. But anything you've learned about collaboration that you think is valuable to share? We're always curious about how other people do it as collaborative duos. <laughs> we we were so alike in our thought process, but we're different too because it, it took us a while to like, I, I was really codependent on Winston and it took me a while to break off and then just do my own thing and then actually come back and actually work as a team. So our journey is very different, I think, from rather than just two people having two completely different, unique skill sets to offer and then they come together and work together. But some things, practical things for us, we're just learning. We've accepted now what the other person's strengths are and just lean into those strengths. And you can conquer quite a bit more that way just by separating the tasks and stuff. It's quite helpful. So like if we're one's pulling images, the other is writing the treatment or one is talking to the production designer, the other one's talking to the DP. Since we both acted, we'll we'll talk first about any acting adjustments that are needed. And then only one of us will approach the actor. So that way there's no confusion on set because took us a while to get our egos aside, like wanting to chat with the actors. Both people are like, I want to make myself useful. And eventually we just found that it's like completely counterproductive. And uh, I think for us, like to, there's always unique challenges with every film that you do. So it's this last one that we did, it was a lot of blocking and we didn't know how to do it because we generally block when we're in the space, but we couldn't do that we couldn't do that all the time because you can't just keep going back to the house because people were living in that. It wasn't like a location where you could do this. The owners like were living there. So it was the first time where we did this, but we actually like, we measured everything with an app. And then we had a place at Sanctuary Content. It's a commercial production company, but we actually laid out blue tape everywhere. And then we physically blocked in the space, certain camera moves and seeing where the camera would go. 
And then for the other scenes that we did where there was too many people, there was like, because there's five people like in one scene and people are moving in and out. And it's just like, what the hell's going on? We did a miniature set to scale on a desk. And then we used chess pieces and we would just like <laughs> use chess pieces and block them out here, block them out here. And then we moved <laughs> it, you know, our fake camera around and we got all the blocking down that way. And that really helps. That was cool. For you, because you and Steve-O direct together? No, it's more like I'll take more like a producer role. Well, during the writing, well, actually, we've never written something together, but we're always like, he's always my first reader. I'm usually his first reader, not always, but, you know, early on, I'll get an early draft. So we talk about our scripts a lot. We talk about stories a lot. We talked about story structure. We love, we, we love talking about notes, like in the house all the time. That's really fun and easy. When we make stuff, usually it's like one of us is directing, the other one's producing. And we've actually talked about recently not trying not to do that as much. <laughs> I think the the writing uh. the writing conversations are really life giving and good for our relationship, our romantic relationship. But to protect the romantic relationship, lately we've talked about moving away from doing projects where we're on set together. And not not like yeah. not like a new strict rule or anything. And that's mainly, I guess, maybe I don't know. We have to talk about it more because that's more like when we're doing something for someone else. Like we've done a lot of like non-scripted stuff, like interviews and stuff, like where we'll take a job and I'll kind of like do the interview and producer like talk about the look and he'll be shooting and like directing a little bit and whatever. And what's the first? Like it's just not like a I, we have really different working styles and yeah. and. We can like get on the same wavelength about stuff, but it's just not worth it. It's not worth the risk of like <laughs> a, a like a big fight over some dumb like job. I don't maybe it'll be different if it's like our own like passion projects. I feel like that's less dangerous for some reason. But like Steve O is such a focused worker and like when he's in work mode he's in work mode i think we've talked about this before that you're kind of like this too and if i'll i walk if he's like in that work mode and i like walk through the room and i like just try to tell him like a funny little anecdote or something funny something said he looks at me like i just punched his mom like he looks at me like you how dare you like you're trying to talk to me right now you know <laughs> And me, I can kind of switch in and out of like work mode. I'm like, okay, there's some downtime. I'm going to go socialize for a while. And he's thinking like, okay, what do we got to do to prepare for the next thing? And he's like, this lazy, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I don't know what our collaborations will look like in the future. We're going to be very careful about it. <laughs> That's the episode, folks. Thanks to Aaron Tao, my guest. If you ever want to leave a question for me or for any of my guests, you can use speakpipe.com slash secretartproject. The link's in the show notes. You can also email me, sari, S-A-R-E-Y, at secretartproject.com. You can visit secretartproject.com to get more info about me or the show or join the mailing list. And this episode's brought to you by winemakermovie.com. Please follow or share about my fundraising project right now. I'd super appreciate it. And, you know, within reason, I'll help you support your dream when the time comes. Okay, uh, my intro theme music is by Omniflex. The song is called Lawless Flawless. Special thanks to Omniflex for letting me use that song. 
And until next time, keep working on those secret art projects. <laughs>